This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I want to begin by reminding us that we're to earnestly contend for the faith. All right, that was a little weak. I know you can do better. Earnestly contend for the faith. What is that? That's the word of God. That's the truth that has been delivered to us. We're to contend for it. That faith once delivered to the saints. One faith, one Lord, one baptism. There are not many ways to heaven. There's one. And it's through Jesus Christ. And so we are to defend the truth of God's word. We are the pillar and ground of the truth. We are reminded from time to time, uh, we need to hold it up and we need to be passing that truth on to the generation coming behind us. Those generations, because it will be up to them to hold up the truth. I hope in your own spiritual walk and your growth, you are beyond doing church. You realize there are a lot of folks Sunday after Sunday, they decide if they're going to do church this weekend. We, we shouldn't even think that way. What we're doing is so, so important, holding up the truth introducing people to the saving truth of Jesus Christ. Realize that the history of Christianity has depended on some very basic things. The proclamation of the word of God, how God's people have received the word of God, and whether or not they were willing to obey it. And the things that I just shared a little bit earlier, obeying scripture means broadcasting it, showing it to the world. That's our responsibility. And when that begins to break down, we can look back in history and see that it has had some significant negative effects on the world. So in this message, we're going to continue to examine the subject of covenant and reformed theology. My goal is to reveal their differences, and, and there are some differences. But then I want to expose how both have sapped the spiritual life out of many churches and even our institutions of higher learning. In fact, what happens in churches often starts in colleges and seminaries. Those places that where the church a long time ago gave up the training of their next ministerial leaders, gave that to institutions, and that's been part of the problem. When you read the book of Acts, when Paul says to the Ephesian uh, elders, uh, that it was their responsibility to ordain elders in that church. And then he, uh, there are other statements where they were to ordain elders in those churches. What, what colleges were they going to? They weren't. 
that training was all happening in-house. And the way things are going, we may be back to that. In fact, in our major uh, fellowships right now, pastors and even college leaders are talking about the fact that we, we may be going back there where we train our own, uh, our own church leaders. I don't think that would be so much of a bad thing. When I was first confronted with the problem of Reformed theology, again, I was in my second pastorate. I have shared with you some of the negative things that were happening. And so I talked to some leaders who were also the presidents of some of our Bible colleges. But in both cases, these guys were evangelists. One of whom almost lost the school that he started, but God brought them through that situation when a problem was brought to light, and that was this Reformed theology, covenant theology happening in the schools. Another, uh, the other evangelist told me that he has seen a 20-year cycle in which students are affected by this issue, and the problem had to be dealt with again and again. The Bible college I attended, uh, when we got there, we heard about purges that had happened, and it was about every 20 years. Brother Valier, you'll, you'll probably know about some of that as well. I'm sure Pastor Coles does. Where leaders in the classroom, uh, in the Bible department, seminary, started to espouse this thing, and it... it went in like an infection. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said this, it takes evangelistic unction for orthodoxy to function. What did he mean by that? Theology by itself is not going to keep life in the church. Obedience to theology, obedience to going into the world sharing the gospel, seeing people saved, bringing them into the church, discipling them, it's obedience. That is what's going to keep life in the church. We'll say more about that a little bit later. Now you might ask, why is this a cyclical problem in churches and schools? I want to give you a couple reasons for this. First of all, those who espouse this theological system are aggressively promoting it. Back in 2000, and it's hard to believe, 23 years away from that, turn of the century, the Alliance of Reformation Christians met in London and they passed a set of resolutions called, quote, the London Declaration 2000, Alliance of Reformation Christians, a vision for biblical unity in the modern church, end quote. One of the resolutions had a section entitled, The Evangelical Problem. By the way, that's us. Okay. The Evangelical Problem. And here's what they said. Quote, We therefore call upon those who bear the label evangelical to affirm their faith once again in accordance with the witness of Scripture and, important and, 
in continuity with the historical testimony of the church. End quote. What are they talking about? The history of the Reformation. All right, they would be speaking more specifically to what happened uh, in the first three centuries of the church. They'd probably want to skip the Dark Ages when the Church of Rome was really ruling the, the known world. And then what happened with the Reformation, that, that we uh, need to be uh, in continuity with that testimony. The only problem is, I would submit to you, that is a, that's a pretty rough testimony. Because you have the time of the apostles, then you have the disciples of the apostles, Polycarp and those, who then take us up to the time of Constantine. Constantine, of course, made Christianity legal religion in Rome. It was not a revival. It was telling people they had to be something that they really weren't. So you had pagans who said, okay, well, if that's the law, we'll call ourselves Christian, but we'll just mix in what we already believe. Constantine took elders from major areas, churches in major areas like Alexandria and, and other places. He brought them to Rome. Some of these when they assembled there, they bore the scars of persecution. Again, this is the end of the Roman Empire as we know it. But what he did is he had his throne and then he put thrones around him and he sat these pastors on those thrones. See a problem. That was not God's plan. It wasn't long and people were venerating these pastors. This is when the practice of kissing the ring of a spiritual leader, when that started. This is where the rule of the clergy over the laity started. By the way, the Lord, Lord warned against that. You're not to lord over the flock. And so you had a time then of corruption and, and I could talk about other church leaders during that time. We'll mention them later in this message. We'll see how far we get tonight. But it wasn't long that before instead of literally interpreting the scripture as the Lord had intended, as the apostles had taught, they're allegorizing uh, they're venerating church leaders. They're, these leaders are gaining followings. And it wasn't long in, until there we were in what we know today. A thousand years of church history we look at as the dark ages. Jesus said, ye are the light of the world. Something is drastically wrong when the light of the world is creating universal darkness in history. Something is out of line. 
All right, and so even with the Reformation, what does the word reform mean? These are men, we're going uh, to take one session and just look at the life of John Calvin. But these are Catholic priests who start to be awakened by their own reading of the Scripture. By the way, a literal interpretation of the Bible. The just shall live by faith. You can't allegorize that. The just shall live by faith. They're starting to get saved. And without any other help, unless they're reading each other, okay, some were reading Calvin, some were reading Luther, and unless that is happening, they are having to develop their own theology, listen, with the baggage of years of being taught and functioning as a Catholic priest. And so there were good changes. And the more they gave themselves to the scripture, the brighter the light got. The spread of the gospel started to make a significant difference, except that there was the baggage of their old theology. So when there's this conference and they're talking about the continuity with the historic testimony of the church, that's a problem. Now let me just encourage you with the fact that all through that time, there were there was always a remnant of faithful that were not part of the church. There were separatists who had remained loyal to Christ. Did you know that during this time, there were believers who were still copying the scriptures? It was forbidden by the church to read the Bible. Imagine that. But they, there were others, Donatists, Later, Moravians, okay, and I, we, we could mention these groups who were separatists remaining faithful and loyal to the Lord. By the way, we can go back as Baptists to that heritage. That's who we are. And so, getting back to this London Declaration 2000, they continued, under the question of truth, Quote, we therefore call upon evangelicals to return to the once-held biblical view that to lay claim to a particular doctrine as true is not spiritual arrogance, but a biblical duty. Well, what particular doctrine were they talking about? Reformed doctrine. Go back to what the reformers taught. Now, again, that word reform. What were the reformers trying to do? They were trying to stay in the church and change it from the inside. We're going to reform what is there. Well, if there's apostasy and false doctrine, what does the Lord say? Stick around and try to fix it? Here's what he says. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine you have learned. Avoid them separate from that okay under a vision for reformation again you can see who they're pointing to here we therefore call upon evangelicals to affirm a vision for reformation which is in accordance with the witness of scripture 
and in continuity with the historical testimony of the Reformed Church. Such a vision is of a church which is both Catholic and Reformed. And then they qualify us. By Catholic, we do not mean Roman Catholic. So some nuancing here. Catholic, the word itself is not a bad word. It means universal. But in their mind, we need to go back to the universal church that came out of Catholicism. We need to go back to that. Under four affirmations, I want to just share two of the resolutions. Here's what they said. Reformed Catholics affirm the importance of the church and its history in an authentic vision of God's redemptive work in space and time. In other words, that was God's miracle, and we need to go back to that. I'm not denying that it was God's miracle. But we need to understand the times and what was happening there. Under Resolution 4, we bemoan the influence among evangelicals of a pietistic dispensationalism in which the world is considered irredeemably wicked and thus hardly worth the effort of influencing and in which the only hope is supposed to be the imminent rapture of the saints, end quote. Uh, let me take this apart a little bit. Anybody know what the word evangelical even means? Evangel? We use it to refer to angels, but what are angels? Angels are messengers. And messengers, we're all called to be evangelistic in that we take the message of the gospel to the world. Historically, that's who we are historically, listen carefully, that's not who they are. So did you catch what they said? First of all, dispensationalism is arrogant because it is different from what the reformers taught. Really? Okay. What about what the Bible teaches? Number two, we believe the wicked are irredeemably wicked which is why we're evangelistic? Well, they, they're just too bad to get saved. Okay, so this weekend we're having the exchange so that we can take the gospel to those people who, they're hopeless. I mean, they can't get saved, right? All right. Last time I checked, their vision of the total depravity of man did teach irredeemable wickedness and, and that it's hardly worth the effort of influencing. If you know anything about Reformed theology, they are not growing because people are being saved. And then they deny the biblical reality of Christ's imminent return for his saints. They downplay that. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus downplay that in his teaching? When these things begin to come to pass, look up. What did the angels say after Jesus had gone up? The same Jesus, he saw go up. He's going to come in like manner. And when you begin to read the writings of the apostles then, after our Lord's ascension, they speak over and over about their anticipation that they're going to see Jesus return soon. 
I would submit to you, based even on these resolutions and what they said, they have got some significant theological problems. Now there's a second reason I believe this problem is upon us. And here it is. Many pulpits in churches and colleges have not taught the whole counsel of God or have remained silent on the Reformed issue. I would say this, and I'm not trying to be wise, <laughs> uh, but, you know, the church has got their own version of don't ask, don't tell. And that policy has not worked. If this is not addressed from Scripture, our young people will not know how to respond when confronted with it later, either in a dorm room, in a classroom, or even in the workplace. On the other hand, if they hear legitimate teaching on election or predestination for the first time, they may become suspicious of their pastors and wonder what else their pastors didn't teach them. I'm not going to have a raise of hands. I'll just share my own testimony. Growing up in a wonderful church like this, how many messages did I hear that really addressed election and predestination. It's real quiet in here tonight. Let me ask you this. In the Bible, are there any dirty doctrines? Again, it's really quiet in here tonight. If God said it, we need to preach it and teach it. Is election in the Bible, yes or no? It sure is. Is it a dirty doctrine? No. It is a doctrine that divides, and that's very unfortunate. I rejoice that I am the elect of God. And you should too. But that shouldn't influence your theology or your practice when it comes to your responsibility, my responsibility to take the gospel to every creature. I am aware that I had, and I probably still have, theological blind spots. And I also understand why. So in the remainder of our time, let's examine three fatal errors that I believe covenant theologians make. And I know that our time is up, so we'll have time for just one, okay? First of all, as we consider three fatal flaws of theology. Number one, covenant theology chooses to ignore the realities of church history. I've already said a lot about this, so we're going to be able to move quickly. I do want to talk about the real historical testimony. Is it a testimony of God's grace and God's mighty working? It is. And I thank God for reformers who took a stand. Some of them died at a stake burned to death for what they believe. Thank God for them. Thank God for their testimonies of faith. I'm not discrediting that, but we need to understand the history. In the book, there really is a difference, and I've quoted that already. Reynolds Showers points out, quote, covenant theology did not begin as a system until the 16th and 17th centuries. So we're talking the 15 and 1600s. It did not exist in the early church, nor was the system developed during the Middle Ages or by the prominent 
reformers, Luther, Zwingli, Calvin. He points out in his book that this uh, that it wasn't until the mid-1600s that the Westminster Confession in England made reference to covenant theology. What I would say is that's when it was formalized and, and it's referred to, but the seeds were being sown all along. Covenant theologians like Cornelius Van Til, Louis Burkhoff, even admit, quote, in the early church fathers, the covenant idea is not found at all, end quote. Wow. Well, those guys are the ones that God used, holy men of God, to help give us the scriptures. <laughs> those church fathers. So this is important because covenant theology is critical of dispensationalism, again, for being new. Whereas it presents itself as having been, through, quote, and I'm quoting a covenant theologian right now, throughout all church history, the ancient guardian of the truth that has only recently been sniped by dispensationalism. So in reality, dispensationalism is very compatible with the teachings of Paul and the other apostles because that's what it's grown out of. And it does take into account all of New Testament, and I would say Old Testament teaching, not just teaching on the covenants. Now, I, I'm able to make that statement tonight. I have been reading through the Bible like you have. I just finished Ezekiel. Any of you reading have finished Ezekiel, been through that? All right, some of you. I see some hands. What an amazing prophecy. And what follows Ezekiel in our Bible? And I went through all of Daniel this week. Does any of that fit in with what's taught in the New Testament? Just like this. And all that detail is important. Now, I know that there are other Baptists, broader sense evangelicals, who when it comes to eschatology, they, their timeline isn't necessarily exactly my timeline. And I want to just close with this thought. If they are using a faithful hermeneutic, interpreting the scripture literally, historically, grammatically. I can respect them for having their position based on the fact that they are trying to interpret all of the scripture and they're taking all of that truth and they're trying to read and, and see exactly how that timeline fits. I have more respect for that, a lot more respect, by the way, than someone who is looking back at history and, well, this is what we think historical Christianity was, and so we're going to just adopt this reform position because, the, well, this is where the light shined, and we, we just shouldn't change from what that was. 
And as we close the message, uh, and I'm not going to get to the conclusion tonight, you and I know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? It's profitable, right? All right, and so if I add to the Scripture, that is unbiblical. If I ignore parts of Scripture because it doesn't quite fit into my theological system, well, that's, that's not biblical either. And so we're going to pick this up uh, next time that we're together. And, uh, and it brings us to the point that covenant theology refuses to interpret all Scripture literally. And I'll give you, exa- give you examples of that. I want to close by just mentioning each of us is going to stand before the Lord someday and we're going to stand there alone. I don't want you to think that any, and I hope you don't think, that anything I've said tonight is because I think I'm smarter or that I'm being arrogant. I, I don't feel that way before the Lord. I am concerned that the church of Jesus Christ stay healthy, that we see this issue historically and also biblically, and that our minds are clear as far as what God has called us to do and that all of God's word matters. It matters. By the way, I'm going to give an account, and so will you, for everything that the Lord has said. So let's be students of the word. You read on your own. If you have questions, ask questions. But you need to understand that there are churches across this country that are dying, drying up. They get together on Sundays. There's a lot of intellectual talk. But folks are not being one to Christ in many of those places and it won't be long and it'll be dead so may God help us to follow all that the scripture says help us to be faithful to our Lord and to be busy about spreading the gospel to those that will hear let's stand together Father thank you for our time tonight thank you for the patience of this flock as we work through this material. Uh, Lord, it has divided churches. It has deadened churches. And God, this is such an important time for us. Help us not to be drawn in to any intellectualism. Lord, any false teaching that would cause us uh, to not see the sufficiency of your word help us to be not just hearers but doers but Holy Spirit lead us into truth to understand and Father continue to do your great work here we'll give you praise in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening if you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org 
or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.